Hi guys, welcome to In Our Community Podcast, where we interview ordinary people doing extraordinary things in their communities. I'm your host, Coach Hitty from Resurrection Movement Studio. On episode 13 of this podcast, I sat down with Nick Fuller, the owner of The Tactical Mind. We talked about how he started his business and the reason behind why he started it. And we also talked about some technical issues like the difference between confidence and cockiness. You know, oftentimes as an athlete, we put so much emphasis on the physical side of the sport, you know, going going to the practice, spending time in the weight room and all that stuff. But we don't put a nearly as much time or effort into training our minds. And we all know that that plays a huge role in our game. So I hope that uh, this episode will open your eyes to the importance of training your minds and find what he has to say to be super interesting. Let's get started. All right, so today I'm sitting across from Nick Fleur from The Tactical Mind. You are based in Lewisburg, right, Nick? Right. All right. Hi, Nick. Hey, how are you? Good, good. Thanks for joining us on the podcast today. Yeah, appreciate so, it. So uh, let's start by just uh, let, let the listeners know who you are, what you do, and where you came from. Yeah, so I've opened uh, The Tactical Mind about six months ago, uh, and what it is is a sport and performance psychology consulting business. Very and cool. A lot of people, when I say sports psychology, they, they look at me a little funny, like, I know sports and I know psychology, but don't know what those two are together, right? Uh-huh. So uh, usually what sports psychology is in a nutshell is it's helping athletes perform at their best when it matters most. Mm. And what I usually say is coaches do a great job of training the physical side of sports, mm-hmm. and they do a great job training the technical side as well. Mm-hmm. And then if you ask any coach you know, how important is the mental side of competing, mm-hmm. they'll say, oh, it's huge, right? But then I'll be like, I'll you know, have a conversation further with them, and they're like, well, how do you train the mental side? Mm-hmm. If you say it's really important, how do you train mental toughness? Mm-hmm. And they're like, uh, well, you know, the way you know, if you're talking to an older coach, the way that they'll train mental toughness is just doing more, just, drill them, just doing right? more yeah. sprints or more yeah. flutter kicks, and that's how yeah. you build mental toughness, right? Uh-huh. And it's like, well, no, that's you're, I think you're still training the there's physical side. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's a disconnect between the two. I see that. And so if you're looking at, you know, wh- when I look at mental toughness, I see motivation, I see confidence, I see being able to um, control your physiology under pressure, mm-hmm. I see um, being able to refocus after mistakes. And so when you can do all that, that's mental toughness to me. Mm-hmm. And that's where sports psychology comes into play is, is training the skills that are so vital, um, but often we don't know how to train those. Hmm. Is, this, uh, is this something you studied in college? Yeah, so I have a bachelor's and master's in sport and performance psychology. Cool. And for the last seven years, uh, I just moved up here uh, to the Lewisburg area, like I said, about eight months ago. Uh, I worked for the Army for the past seven years. Oh, wow. Uh, doing mental toughness training for army rangers for uh pilots who you know black hawk and apache pilots for tankers for infantry men uh because the army kind of considers their soldiers to be tactical athletes hmm. uh and so the same mental toughness uh components that athletes use to have composure under pressure hmm. to have confidence in situations that they might be a little unfamiliar with uh, the, the Army really sees a big value in training those same skills to their tactical athletes. Okay. So as a consumer, so let's say like I have athletes that I'm working with, mm-hmm. I, th- I think you, you could benefit from your service. Walk us through like what would it be like if I walked into your office today and said, hey, I want an appointment. I want to learn a little bit more about this. How, how would it benefit? What would be the process like? What would the process look like? Yeah. So a few things that, you know, first of all, there's no magic 
pill that I can take, like, uh-huh. and just give you mental, like, but everybody struggles with their own things, right? Mm-hmm. So you might be struggling with motivation. Another person might really be struggling with confidence. There might be an athlete who's really struggling w- with it all. Mm-hmm. So we'll maybe prioritize the things that are, that you're really struggling with. But most athletes that I, that I work with, uh, the, the big things that they struggle with it are what I already mentioned. Sometimes it's confidence. And, you know, confidence is something that why I really got into the sport of sports, like mm. the field of sports psychology, because, you know, when I was an athlete, I played lacrosse and baseball growing up and I was pretty good, but I never really reached my full potential as an athlete. And when I look back at it, it wasn't due to a lack of, of skill. What it was is my mental game was holding me back from really mm. progressing. Uh, and so confidence was the thing that re- I really struggled with. And, you know, I don't know if you can ever relate to this, but, you know, there'd be some days I'd wake up and my confidence was, was sky high, right? And I was feeling great. Mm-hmm. And then nothing changed. Right. I wake up the next day and, and I'm looking alive. around going, where, where did it go? <laughs> right? And so I didn't feel like I had any control over my confidence. It was either I had it that day mm-hmm. or I didn't. Mm-hmm. And so I really wanted to dig deeper on why was I really struggling mm-hmm. with this on, on a constant basis. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's what got me into this field. Uh, but yeah, like going back to if, if I'm working with an athlete, right. uh, I really prefer one-on-one mm-hmm. consultations uh, and then just getting to, know, getting to know what you're doing well already. Why do you love your sport? What are your goals in that sport? And then ultimately, if we can find some areas where you can improve mentally and build that mental toughness, we'll explore those deeper. And normally, we're looking at motivation, we're looking at grit, we're looking at uh, confidence, we're looking at how do you control your, your physiology. Mm-hmm. Because I think any, anybody who's ever played a sport, they've had a coach that has told you, like if you're in a big situation, they've told you to like relax mm-hmm. or take a deep breath. And what tends to happen when that coach just says, tense relax, yeah. you tense <laughs> you up and you're like, you get all, you, yeah. yeah, you do the exact opposite, great point. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm so this is really, really interesting because, you know, when you watch sports or as, as a spectator, all you see is the physical side. You don't really get to see what goes on inside between your ears. Right. Mm-hmm. And so training that aspect, I think people kind of forget about it. And so I want you to drive home the importance of why this is so important and, and talk to us about some and share us with some of the sto- success stories that you've come across with an athlete, you know, how they came in versus how they became, what, what they've become or what they've been able to accomplish after seeing you and talking to you. Yeah, so you make a great point uh, with, we, we see on, on, the, on the field, we can see the physical side, right? Mm-hmm. And we can see them ex- excelling, et cetera. And, but there's often, so we can see the great side of sports. Mm-hmm. And then oftentimes people go into slumps as well. Mm-hmm. And what, hap- what tends to happen in a slump is, We'll go and, and we'll, if we're playing basketball, we'll hit the free throw line a hundred times after practice. And we just keep reinforcing and reinforcing this, the skill, even though we already have developed the skill. Mm. And so people can see like what oftentimes when, when you're in a slump, they see the physical side being, being wrong. But like you said in your, in your question, there, there's something going on in between the two ears mm. and we're always thinking. Mm-hmm. We can never turn our thoughts mm-hmm. off. When we have elite performance, we're still having thoughts, but our thoughts become automatic, and we're not thinking about our thinking when we're competing. Mm-hmm. They're more automatic. Um, when we tend to slump, our th- we tend to tune into those thoughts a lot more, and those thoughts are probably more counterproductive mm-hmm. than they are productive. 
Um, but anyway, so when we have a slump, we'll hit the free throw line or we'll hit the batting cages over and over and over again. We'll change mechanics. And again, if you've been hitting home runs your whole life and now all of a sudden you're not, it's probably not a mechanical issue. It's probably something going on exactly. mentally where there's a block between uh, mental and physical because uh, often what we say in sports is like the body follows the mind. Hmm. That's great. So now tell us about some uh, success stories that you had. Yeah. Between you um, athletes. So, I, I mean, I can go back to, to working with the Army first because sure. uh, I, th- I think that was some very rewarding work. Uh, you know, I've worked, like I said, I've worked with Rangers, I've worked with pilots, I've worked with tankers, et cetera. And really just getting them to be more resilient in their, in their lives is an amazing concept uh, that, that I, I really value. Uh, one thing that sticks out to me right away, though, and it's not even really a performance-related thing, mm-hmm. but uh, there was a sergeant, uh, he's an E5, that I, that I worked with, and you have to get promoted after a certain many years in, in that rank. And to get promoted, you go to these boards, mm-hmm. and there's a first sergeant, a sergeant major, and they're drilling you with questions and Army regulations and Army standards. And he had, he had a family, he had three kids, a wife, and he had failed the board four times. It might have been even five times, or he was going in for his fifth time. So it sounds like it's a really stressful environment. It's a very stressful environment. And uh, really, if he didn't pass this board this time around, he probably was not going to get promoted. And then mm. ultimately, if you're just staggering in your career, the Army is going to let you go at some point. Gotcha. Uh, and uh, he, he, he said, he, you know, I know the material. I, I know what to do. But when I get into those situations, I tend to just freeze up. And all the information that I, that I know just goes out the window. And so uh, I taught him one skill that just, you know, we've all learned when we're, in, like we talked about earlier, when you're in pressure situations, your coach tells you to take a deep breath. But there's actually a lot of science behind taking a good, deliberate, tactical breath. Hmm. Um, so just coaching through your breathing, how do you actually use your breath to, to manipulate your biology to kind of take that fight or flight down a little bit? And then we use a skill called real-time resilience, which is just when you do have counterproductive thoughts coming in your head, so you're going into this board and a f- the first thought comes in your mind like, this is, this is a really big moment and I'm probably going to screw it up. Mm. That's a thought that you could have, right? right? How do you immediately knock that thought out mm. so that it doesn't come back around and you're not thinking about it and having you distract you? Because ultimately what happens is our thoughts drive our emotions and our yes. physiology. Yes. So if I have a thought that says, I'm not ready for today, what tends to be the emotion that follows that thought? Probably a little anxiety. Yeah. And then we start tensing up. Mm-hmm. And then we might have another thought like, I'm, I'm so tense, there's no way I'll be able to answer these questions. Right. And so it's just a, it's just a downward spiral then. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that, I, it's not even really a performance-based thing, but uh, I was, when he passed the board, I, I work, worked with him for five different sessions mm-hmm. uh, just on arousal control and confidence. And uh, he, he called his wife to say that he passed, and then I was his second phone call. Uh, so that just, again, not really sport or performance-related, but that to me... And everybody can relate to being, whether you're giving a book report as yeah. a sixth grader or you're going into the, the boardroom, mm-hmm. everybody can relate to getting nervous and, and talking in front of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's one thing that sticks out to me. And then, uh, you know, just working, I th- I've been working with a few different af- athletes in the last few months and just seeing how, because these are great skills for, for sports, you know, confidence, motivation, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, and just, just seeing how, they're also just great life skills. So mm-hmm. these kids that I work with, they, they, they learn about these skills that they can use in their respective sport. Mm-hmm. 
but then when they start connecting it to their to, to their life. lives that that's just a that's a winning recipe for me and mm-hmm. it, it really inspires me to see because I wish I had these skills yes. growing up, not just in sports, but also in life. I feel like I would have made it a lot further in, in sports and, and maybe been able to overcome more adversity uh, mm-hmm. throughout my childhood. Uh, so I think that, that when, when the kids start making connections outside of sport and into their life, that's, that's a really rewarding thing for me. That's very cool. So I see a lot of similarities between what we do and what you do. Ours is just not specifically catered towards that. But I see a lot of kids coming in here. And you can tell by just from the moment when they walk in initially the first time, they're either nervous or they don't know what they do. So it's just they're uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. But then after a while of training with us, like their confidence starts to grow. And then you can see that in the way they walk. They're smiling more. And I try to connect the dot between what we do here and, you know, even when they're like, especially towards the finisher, if we're doing like a conditioning program and they're really struggling, I let them know like, hey, imagine in your game, fourth quarter, two minutes left and you're the one that, that has the ball. What are you going to do? What kind of mindset are you going to go into? So try to connecting that dot because, you know, I've heard, you know, we I think a lot of us heard this saying like practice makes it perfect. Mm-hmm. Well, the practice itself doesn't make it perfect. I think it's a mindful practice where you really hone in and where you really you know, control what's going on in the environment. Because if you, you can do things completely purposelessly, you know, like you can just kind of go through the motion. And I right. talk to kids about that. When you go to practice, be there. Don't just do things that you're told to do because doing things that you're told to do is not going to get you results. Same thing here. Every rep, be mindful of your movement because if you just go through the motions, you're not going to get any results. And I think that's the part that you're really, really honing into with your service. And it's awesome to see that. Yeah. Uh, so two things that uh, you mentioned in there, and hopefully I can uh, keep in my head uh, the two thoughts I want to make yeah. here. Uh, first one is deliberate practice. Yeah, it's huge. Like you know, Malcolm Gladwell made famous uh, the ten thousand hour rule. Have uh-huh. you heard of that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where it's like yeah. if you want to become an expert in yeah. piano or or soccer or tennis or math or chess, mm-hmm. all you got to do is just ten thousand ten thousand hours, and you're gonna become the the best of the best. Well, that's not necessarily true yes. because I can do, I can come in here to your gym and I can do 10,000 hours of just mindless repetition stuff. Yeah. And if I'm just like bench pressing the, the minimum, just going through the motions, that's not going to make me elite. No. And the same thing goes with if, I, if I'm on the soccer field, if I'm on the football field, if I'm just going through the motions and I spend 10,000 hours, eventually like your performance is going to increase yeah. ult- over time. But after you make that initial skill development, without that deliberate practice, you're just going to plateau. Yes. And then you, you will stay the same, and you might ultimately just, just dip a little bit as well. Um, Can we dive in on something on that note? So yeah, like, So please. this connects to something else in regards to, like, I think nowadays parents think and kids think more is better. So I see all these athletes being involved in the same sport all year long, and I see it, like, you know, specialization at young age is not good right we don't promote that and number two i want kids exposed to different sports throughout the year because playing more or doing more of the same sport without the intention of trying to get better and being mindful at every practice is meaningless and at especially at kids ages younger than 12 you can't get their attention span to be like to focus on one thing for the entire year that's just it's just asking too much of them 
Right. So uh, you, the research supports yes. what, you, what you say. Uh, and so I actually just got finished reading a, a book called Peak, which is all about deliberate practice and, and uh, becoming the best of the best. And there is a tendency for parents to push Next. a kid in their early specialization. Right. Next LeBron James. Right. So if, if you see he, that he made a basket uh, at uh, you know, four years old, you're like, all right, I got LeBron. Let's keep putting. <laughs> we're, only doing, we're only doing basketball now, right? Yeah. But uh, what uh, the author talks about, I believe his last name is uh, Erickson, mm-hmm. uh, specialization shouldn't come until at least 14 or, or 16. Um, you know, the first 10 years of, of the life, let them explore whatever it is that they want to explore. Uh, and if you have a, if you have a love for tennis or you have a love for golf, maybe you start leaving a tennis racket around the house mm-hmm. or a golf club and they're going to get interested in, in that stuff because kids are just naturally interested. Mm-hmm. And then let them for the next four or five years, maybe start working with the coach, uh, and joining team sports, et cetera. And then once they really know that they love something around 14, 15, 16, that's when you can really start diving into mm-hmm. to mastery and make a commitment to mastery. Mm-hmm. The, the, the things that we work on and we try to target towards is the things that they, they, need, they need the most work on, but it's not really being taught to them. Mm. You don't really, you know, you're throwing, kids are thrown into the weight room. Uh, but they're not really explained as to like why it's important to do that or how to do it, how to go about it. Same thing with mental toughness. Like yeah. they, they kind of know it's important, but they don't know how to get better at it. Um, and the way that it's, it's introduced to them is like, you know, you got to be tougher and, you know, just kind of being told, but not how to practice it. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So there's no roadmap. It's like, yes, if I want to get to, if I want to get to this end state of being a mentally tough, tough person or having the right mindset, Normally, it's just like, hey, this is where you want to, this is what yes. you want to achieve, but there's no roadmap of actually how to, how to get there. Yes. And yeah, so I think you do a great job of, of inspiring people to find the roadmap, especially in that physical side and even sprinkling in some of that mindset component that you want them to have. But ultimately, there's, there's no roadmap. So we're leaving kids to figure out for themselves. Mm-hmm. And there, there's some great aspects of being able to figure out yourself. But I also think you can get to a capital R resilient if we can name some of the things that they're already doing well. Mm-hmm. Just put a name to it so that they know how to then replicate it again and again and again. Because sometimes we'll get through a tough situation and we're not really sure why we did that mm. or how we got through it. Right. But then there's going to be times where if we go back and we just like one of the skills that I love to teach is control the controllables. Right. So mm. it's just finding like the, and because. The, Oftentimes we just, we lose what we have control over. Like we, we lose focus on what we have control over. And in life, there's not that much stuff that we actually have control over. Mm-hmm. It's what we think, feel, and do. Mm-hmm. That's what we have control over in our lives. And so if we can name that skill and, oh, well, I was really in control of how I felt in that situation. All right. So let's, next time you're in a situation like that, let's really grab onto those things that you can control and control those and focus your attention on those things. Don't waste all that time focus on, on the refs, on the weather, on, on the parents, on the other mm. team. We can't control that stuff. Yes. You might have the best game of your life, but you, the goalie st- and you might take the best shot in the, in the world, but the goalie somehow saved it. That's you can't control, control that. Yeah. So what can we control? We can control our attitude about it. We can control our effort, our motivation, 
and what we think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, we can let ourselves be down over it or we can uh, have a more positive outlook on it. Uh, so just naming the skill helps build repetition. Hmm. Very cool. Very cool. Now, I know you mentioned 101 is your, like, your go-to. Mm-hmm. Like, that's, that's what you prefer. You also do team counseling as well, like with the group of kids? Correct. Yeah. So, uh, again, I think, I think we get the most bang for your buck when it's one-on-one, mm-hmm. uh, really individualized service. And expe- anytime we're talking about the brain, I think it's best because, again, it's not one size fits all. Right. Uh, but I do also love just giving you know, hour-long workshops to teams that are a broader sense in, in mental toughness where it's mm-hmm. not individualized to the person, but it's taking these concepts that we've heard before, like mental toughness, like having the right mindset. Because again, we've all heard these, these, like, yes. these terms. If you watch golf on TV, they'll say, oh, he's got a winning mindset. Well, what's that mean? Yeah. And it's individualized to each person. So, right. But just taking these terms that we've all heard before. And breaking it down. And breaking it down so they can, they can, find, they can take at least one or two steps to start getting to a, an improved sense in, in their mental toughness. Hmm. So in today's, working with today's kids, sure. what do you see as the biggest weakness that they have? Hmm. So it kind of goes to, uh, I, I think about, I think about generational stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And anytime you, you talk to an older, like somebody, I don't want to get into like boomers versus Gen yeah, Xers no, or anything yeah. like that. But I think, and there's always a thing to like pass down. Oh, these, I think boomers were like the generation before the boomers were saying, oh, these people are weak. And then and the, I, millennials will say about the next generation, they're, they're weak, et cetera. Um, so I, I don't think anything changes in, in that regard. Does that make sense to you? Like everybody's going to talk crap about the, the, next, the generation next generation down. Yeah. Right. Um, and I, I hear it all the time that this generation just doesn't have what it, what it takes to to be tough um and and i i disagree with that, disagree with that but i do think that we're, when we label mm-hmm. when we put a label to a, a broad category of people also some people are going to start believing that then yeah uh and, and i think we're doing a really big disservice mm. to those people growing up when we already just say like hey these people don't have the life skills that i that i had at this age right because they're going to tend to believe it then right and so uh, I think I would caution people against that. Mm-hmm. And then I think one of my big jobs is to help one say like it, you weren't like you, you do have this ability to be mentally tough and we don't have to listen to the noise out there. Mm-hmm. Um, that's saying like, you're just not ready to be right. being an adult. You're not ready to be an, an elite athlete, et cetera. Well, I think, you know, with generational, generational differences, I look at it as like these kids today are growing up in a totally different environment than we did. And, you know, if you track back to generations, that could be said about all different generation groups. So part of it comes with our lack of understanding as the older generation of how these what these kids are going through. We can't really relate to them because we didn't go through it, but we can see what they're going through and we can have sympathy towards saying it must be tough. Like it must be hard. So what are your struggles? Like that's how you get to know that group of kids is by asking questions and finding out what their struggles are. Like growing up in social media age, that has to be hard. That has to affect your mindset consciously and unconsciously. And really trying to understand where that's coming from, I think is really important. Yeah. So it's it's, what I'm hearing you say is just, we could all benefit from having a little bit, a little bit more empathy (laughs) towards each other. And, uh, and just having conversations, like real yeah. conversations. And I think that's where I, that's where I 
really do, do a service for the kids and for the parents as well. Because uh-huh. what I hear from the parents all the time, and I'm sure you probably hear this mm-hmm. too, my kids just don't talk to me. Yeah. My, and I, I was 15 at one point. I was 16 at one point. I, I think if you asked Jim and Jill Fuller, like they would also say Nick did not <laughs> <laughs> talk to us at that age. Right. Um, but kids feel very comfortable like talk, talking with me or talking with you. Yeah. Uh, and so it's just a, a really great place for them to be able to, to talk about stuff that they're not going to talk with their parents. I, mm. I don't, if, if I was 16, I don't think I was going to talk to my parents about my lack of confidence. Right. Or that I was struggling with motivation. Right. And I think if your parents pointed out to you, you'd be like, no, that's not what I'm struggling with. Like right. you, your automatic response will be defensive. And that's just like, that, I think that's just how the kids are wired. Yeah. And yeah. so I think uh, that's, that's, I hear it from the parents all the time that they're just very glad uh-huh. that they have somebody that they can, uh, that their kids can, can talk, talk to, can talk to. That's yeah. awesome. And I think, you know, and from the adult perspective, I just see like, it's important to people have like you be around the kids because they really need somebody that they can look up to. And then the more people that we have, that's like you, the better it is for the kids because they tend to bottle things up nowadays. And it's, it's not healthy because it's quote unquote, like I think it was the same thing for with us when we're growing up. It's not cool to talk about those things, but if they can confine an adult that they know they can trust and they're not like going to go around to their friends and tell them like, Hey, like this is what they're going through. Like, it's a good thing. It's a good thing to be able to provide to the kids and create that environment where they feel safe and, and confident enough in them that, that, that they can share those their darkest secrets and for us to be able to kind of help them guide along that line of like, hey, this is how you can get out of that situation. This is how you can think differently. Yeah. Because sometimes kids get stuck in this one way of thinking and they don't know how to get out of it. I mean, adults too, but mostly kids that we work with, I would say. Yeah, we, we all have... Uh you know, errors in our thinking or, or these thinking traps where like mm-hmm. sometimes we might just think everything that happens to me is it, I'm the sole cause of the problem that that's making mm-hmm. it happen. Or you know, the, the opposite of that is believing that everybody else is the sole cause mm-hmm. of their problem. And so if you have one of those two, like, you know, uh, errors in your thinking, whether you believe it's always your fault or it's everybody else's fault, those are going to lessen your, your resilience as a, as a kid growing up. And then you're, it's just those patterns and thinking are going to get stronger and stronger and stronger. And they're going to follow you through college years, through young adulthood, and even then as an adult. Mm-hmm. And as an adult, you're going to probably get past those same errors in thinking down to your kids. Because what we know is if you're that person who always blames other people, your kids are going to see that. Mm-hmm. And then they're going to develop those same patterns in thinking. So they're going to think that there's a thousand problems going on and they're a part of their affected by all of them but they have nothing to do with it but Mm. even though all thousand problems you're the common denominator in that in that situation huh so as we were getting ready to wrap up here i one of the things that i noticed in this podcast with interview with you is you're really passionate about what you do yeah so can you tell us a little bit about why you love what you do and why you're so passionate about it is there a history or story behind that yeah i think i touched on that briefly already um but growing I got uh, our favorite Justin Timberlake song in the background right now. <laughs> I don't know if we're going to be able to pick that up on the on the uh, on the podcast. Uh, but anyways, I I touched on it briefly already. But uh, I really struggled with confidence growing up, and I just wanted to explore, and I wanted to get I wanted to know why that you know I never lived up to my potential, uh, and so confidence was a driving factor for me. It's something that I'm very passionate about because there there's things that you can do 
besides just like saying, hey, go out there and be confident, Hitty. Mm. Like it's easy for me to say that as a coach, mm-hmm. go out there and be confident. But when you're the athlete struggling with that, it's a lot harder to actually do that. So it's easier said than done. Um, and so now we actually have tools and we have ways that people can find confidence. Mm. So whether it be kind of like what I talked about with that soldier going to the boards, mm-hmm. just recognizing when we have counterproductive thoughts and then immediately trying to crush those uh, thoughts by proving them false, mm-hmm. by using optimism to, to get rid of those thoughts. Um, that's just, that, I think that's where, I'm, I'm pa- like, that's where my ha- passion comes from. I know that I struggled with it and nobody was really around to help me mm. develop more confidence. Mm-hmm. And now I want to be able to return that, make sure that no other kid is really struggling when it's something that we can, we can, it's, it's easily fixable Hmm. or we can easily improve upon somebody's confidence and make sure that you're not looking under the bed one one morning for like, where did that confidence, where did, where did it go? That was just, I had it yesterday. Where did it go? Hmm. And so it's not going to be random anymore. It's, it's going to be something that you know Hmm. where and how it it comes from and how do I get more of this great stuff? Hmm. It's very cool, and I, I can definitely relate to that in regards. I mean, I was, I was an athlete at one point. I still like to consider myself as an athlete, but you're right. Like, your mind plays a huge role in the outcome of the game or the situation, and it's, you know, and I think a lot of athletes can relate to that, and, and so I think a lot of people could benefit from your service as well. Now, as, uh, as we conclude the podcast, I always ask the interviewee a words of encouragement. So I think it will be appropriate to uh, take the angle of, I want you to share some words of encouragement towards today's athletes mm-hmm. um, seeking for that like edge through mental toughness and, um, and all that stuff that you provide services to and uh, just kind of give them a little bit of words of encouragement. Yeah. Uh, self-awareness is, I think one of the most important skills mm-hmm. that any person can benefit from and and develop. So I always encourage, how do we become more self-aware? Because we can't fix what we're, what we don't know what's going on or we, we, so with self-awareness, it's being able to tune in to our thoughts, being able to tune into our emotions and, and what's happening physiologically. And so what I would say is when you're performing next, tune into what's going on upstairs because what the research shows shows is we speak to ourselves at a rate of about 500 words per minute. Really? That's a lot of thinking. Yes. And now let me ask you, Hitty, like what percent of those 500 words every minute would you say that you're actually like tuned into and you're aware that you're having a thought? Probably like one or two percent. (laughs) Yeah. It's very little. Yeah. I I would say for most people, anytime I ask that question, it's usually under 10%. Yeah. And so that means 90% of the time, our mind is just pulling us in this direction or is pulling us in that direction without us even being aware of it. So something that I can do to encourage any athlete for like today's athlete is just tune into what thoughts you're having, name them, tune into them. And then what we can notice is that we we can build off of there. Once we have self-awareness of the thoughts that we're having, we can do a lot more to then be able to self-regulate we can do a lot more to then be able to have more confidence to be able to um, control our physiology under pressure. And if, and if we're really struggling with motivation that day, we can, uh, we can tune into why. Because we're not just, one day our motivation isn't just gone. Right. There's a thought, 
we woke up and we said, I really don't feel like hitting the gym today. Uh-huh. And we, so if we say that to our, our, ourselves, odds are our motivation is going to dissipate then. Yeah. Um, and so huh. that, that's one thing I would say is just develop that self-awareness, tune into what you're thinking about. Even if we can just go from hitties one to 2% and bring that up to 4% today, I think, I think that's a win. Yeah. And then the final thing I would say is uh, my big thing is all about competing, right? So it's mm-hmm. competing not just physically, but also mentally and emotionally as well. And so if we can combine all three of those, that's competing and shorten down the game. Uh, and so whether it be basketball, baseball, football, tennis, whatever, do every snap, every, every shot, every, every swing, give 100% of whatever you have in that moment. Give 100% of what you have in that moment to win the next pitch, to win the next shot, or to, to win the next whatever it is for your sport. Um, because so often, uh, you know, we might be struggling with our C game. Like, mm-hmm. there, we, there's days that we just have our C game. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean by, like, having our C, mm-hmm. C game? Absolutely. And sometimes we, we, we make excuses and we're like, oh, I just I can't it's play that ball today. It's not, yeah. my day. not my day. Well, you know what? Just give 100% of whatever what you, you have, have in yep. that moment to win the next pitch. Absolutely. And uh, so that's what I'll, uh, I'll part with. That's awesome. You know, like, um, just one thing that came up that I think I want you to touch on real quick before we go is the difference between confidence and cockiness. Yeah. Do you ever come across that within today's athlete? And how do you separate and how do you coach them through that? Yeah, normally how I see that is uh, the, the people who have confidence or want more of it uh-huh. love to work with me. The okay. people who are cocky, they're like, Doesn't, dog, yeah. I, don't, I don't need you. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and I think I'll put on a more serious note though, uh, with cockiness, sometimes, uh, it's like Swiss cheese cockiness where I can uh, easily poke holes uh-huh. into that. Uh, and they're more putting on a facade. Right. And so they're going to be the person that avoids challenges hmm. because, Hey, I, I'm good over here where I can, I know I can do really well in this controlled environment. But if I'm in this situation where it's a little bit more volatile, I don't know exactly the, how the outcome is going to come. I might want to avoid that because that doesn't that that goes against this persona that I have of I'm the best, mm-hmm. and I don't want to show that I can be vulnerable or that I can actually make mistakes. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're going, and ultimately, then if I'm willing to uh, put in effort, I'm willing to um, I, I'm okay with setbacks, and I I, I take on challenges that's going to lead to skill improvement. The mm. person that is cocky and wants to avoid all that stuff because they just want to show I'm, I'm great and they don't want to show weakness, their skills go, just like we talked about with, with deliberate practice, their skills going to plateau. Mm. But the person who constantly wants to work w- and put in more effort and face those challenges that the other people are going to avoid, they're going to be the people that you see will really increase their, their skill, their skill development, et cetera. That's Very just cool. my thoughts on cockiness versus confidence. I don't know. That's, no, that's, that's awesome. Like, and then when, you talk, when you're talking about that, the thing that I think about is I read an article about James Harden. Every offseason, he tried to create a way to – a new way to beat his defenders, try to create a new way to approach his shot so then he can get a wide-open look. He's almost creating a challenge for his, himself that he can overcome in the offseason to, per, to perfect it. And that's a lot of time spent in the gym. It ties back into mindful practice. He's creating something new, practicing it and perfecting it in just that short time in the offseason to be able to, to become a better player. And I think that's a similar approach that we want to kind of 
kind of presented to maybe not the exact approach because and we all know that like doing things that NBA player is doing and asking a high school kid to do it is way too much. Mm-hmm. Um, but something scaled down version of that, the idea behind it uh, is exactly what we want our athletes to be kind of going towards. Yeah, it's just finding the next thing that you can improve. Yeah. Like once you met, and I'm sure once he masters that, that new technique of getting around yeah. somebody or whatever, he's, what do the elite athletes do? Once they master something, they're going to move on to the next thing. thing. Yep. But and that's something that we can ask our high schoolers to do as well is once you master the one thing that you're working on, move on to the next thing and, and, and devote as much a mindful practice as you put in that previous one mm-hmm. to then be able to master that next new thing and the next new thing. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Nick. This is a really fruitful conversation, and I hope that a lot of parents and kids listening to it would benefit from it. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Right on. Thank you.